Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you, take, if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And know I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off this good land that he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you, Destiny. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray together, church. Uh, Father, we are... <laughs> We are a needy group this morning, uh, too needy for religion. We need your grace. As we linger together in what Joshua calls your good and unfailing word, meet us like only you can. Bring us the encouragement that we need in the places we need it. Whether we came here this morning weary, wounded, wandering, by your spirit and through your scripture, lead us to wonder in your never-ending love to us in Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you could craft right now your last words, what would they be? Last thing that you're ever going to say to anybody. What's it going to be? Uh, throughout history, there, there have been many famous people who have left many famous last words uh, that, have, that have been able to capture in a phrase the essence of who they are. 
right? Bob Marley, last words, money can't buy life. Kurt Cobain, lead singer of Nirvana, last words, it's better to burn out than fade away. Steve Jobs, apparently his last words, oh, wow. Uh, and my favorite, Winston Churchill, who inspiringly said as his last words, I have grown so bored with it all. Well, Joshua here in chapter 23, he's giving us his last words, right? Not as pithy uh, as the ones I just read, I'll give you that much, but these, this is it. These are his last words. Joshua's old at this point. He's, he's really old. He's over a hundred. He knows that he's about to die, and so, so he pulls Israel in for one last talk. What's he going to say? I mean, just think about it. After, after everything that he's been through, after slavery in Egypt, after the parting of the Red Sea, after wandering through the desert, after conquering a land full of giants, after all of that, what is he going to say? Well, after a life full of beauty and brokenness, waiting on the promises of God, Joshua comes alongside Israel. Not with a TED talk, not, not with some inspirational message, not with a kick in the butt. No, they don't need that and neither do you. No, Joshua pulls them in close and encourages them to stay devoted in their love to God. Because Joshua himself, after this full life of living and longing for the promises of God, he, he himself knows how easy it is for our hearts to wander. How easily our loves drift away from the only love that's better than life. And so his last words to Israel here are this, center your heart on God. Focus your love on him above everything else because he is so worth it. And even though these last words, even though they were said thousands of years ago, they are just as timeless for us today because our hearts wander. Our hearts drift away from a good and gracious father. And so just like Israel, we need, we need Joshua to pull us in close today with three things, an encouragement, a warning, and a guarantee. So first, Joshua gives an encouragement. I mean, he really does it throughout this whole chapter, but, but especially to start off in verses 1 through 11, Joshua, he's, he's encouraging Israel to love God above everything else, but not in the way that you might expect. Did, did you catch it when Destiny read it? Joshua spends far less time 
telling Israel how to love God and spends far more time telling Israel why to love God. And Joshua, he's got, he's got two really freeing reasons why Israel should give God their undivided hearts. First, because of all God's done for them. He says in verse 3, you yourselves, you've seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. And what's God done for them? Joshua says he's fought for them, he's conquered for them, he's given an inheritance to them. I mean, you, you can almost picture Joshua just standing there saying, guys, 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 look around. Look at all that God's done for us. You, you have tasted and seen yourselves just how good he is. Just how great, gracious, and giving his love for us is. And here's the best part. There is so much more of it to come. Because Joshua, he doesn't just encourage them with what God has done for them, but also with what God will do for them. The Lord your God himself, he says, he'll push out the nations still in the land for your sake. He'll drive them out before you and you'll take possession of, your, of their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Israel, you see, they're in the land. They're, they're in the promised land. But they still have some unwanted roommates. There are, there are still some people living in the land who've been given an eviction notice because of the way that they lived in the home that God owns. And so Joshua, is in, he's encouraging the Israelites here that, that God is not going to move on with them now that, now that the, the project's finished. Now that they're in the land, no, he will continue fighting for them. He will continue conquering for them. He will continue giving to them out of his never-ending, bottomless love for them. Uh, a few years ago, Gatorade put out these commercials. Maybe you've seen them. Um, the, the whole premise was this. A real person, not an actor, walks into a gas station and they go back to the fridge, and they get a Gatorade, and they go to pay for it, and the person behind the cash register says, I'm so sorry, I, I can't sell you that. You're not sweating. And, and the person who, mind you, has no clue that, that they're being filmed right now for a commercial says, are you serious? And they say, yeah, um, I can't, unless you're sweating, I can't sell you a Gatorade. And so in one of them, the... <laughs> The person tells him, well, why don't you start doing some jumping jacks? And so the guy's like, okay. So he starts doing some jumping jacks, and the guy's like, yeah, it's still not quite working. Why don't you start doing some laps around the inside of the gas station? And so the guy's doing laps around, and the guy's like, good, good, yeah, keep going. Just, you know, keep really working it up there. And finally, this person just gets frustrated, and they're like, can, can I just talk to a manager? This is getting ridiculous here. I just want to buy a Gatorade. And the manager comes out, and uh, it's Peyton Manning with like a big fake mustache on. And, uh, and then the tagline for the commercial comes up. You got to sweat it to get it. Joshua, 
standing here in the promised land is encouraging Israel of how opposite the true of the truth that is for God. He's saying, guys, yeah, we, we, we fought, but ultimately we didn't sweat it to get this. This land, this promise, it was always a gift. Our, our part was just to show up and let God do the rest. That as he says in verse 10, one of you beats a thousand, not because you're so amazing at fighting. No, because God is the one who's fighting for you, just as he promised. Just as he, out of his unbridled love for you, said he would. So love him back. It's the difference between loving God from an if or a therefore. You see, we naturally live out of this subtle belief that my love for God makes him love me more. We naturally live out of, out of the if. That if I obey more, if I pray more, if I spiritually sweat more, then God will love me more. Then God will delight in me more. Then God will smile over me more. But Joshua and God in the gospel is inviting us into something so much more freeing. To love God, not, of an, not out of an if, but out of the therefore. To love God above everything else, not for his smile, but from his smile. Not for his blessing, but from his blessing. Not for his heart, but from his heart that is brimming with a love that first loved you in Jesus. That like Joshua is encouraging the Israelites to do here, to look at everything God has and will do for us in Jesus. To look at all the ways that Jesus has fought for us, that he's conquered for us, that he's given to us beyond what our guilt and shame told us he ever would do for us. To look at the gospel, which is Jesus saying, I sweat, I bled, so you can have it. So now you can have everything that my father has promised me. To look at that, and not out of an if, but out of the lavish therefore of the gospel. To love God back above everything else. So first, Joshua gives an encouragement. Second, he gives a warning. Uh, like I said, this, this whole passage, uh, really, Joshua, is, he, he's pulling them in. He's encouraging Israel uh, but in verse 12, he, he particularly starts to encourage Israel by warning them. He says, but if you turn away and ally yourselves to, with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they'll become snares and traps for you, whips on your back, 
thorns in your eyes. See, Joshua's warning Israel here of what will happen if they don't finish the task, if they don't drive out the people who are left in the land, of what will happen if instead of holding fast to God, like he's already encouraged them to do, instead they hold fast to the people who are still left in the land. Now, this is not, this is not a race thing. This is not a nationalism thing or anything like that. All right, this is a worship thing. It's what Joshua's already said in verse 6. These Canaanites, their hearts, they've been captured by idols, by false gods, by rival loves. And Joshua knows if, if Israel, if they don't cling to God, but instead they cling to these people, their hearts will drift away from God and to what these people worship, to what these people love. And just look what he says will happen if they do. These idols, these, these rival loves, they'll ensnare them, they'll trap them, There'll be whips on their back. There'll be thorns in their eyes. You know what that is? That's slavery language. That's Egypt language. That's what Israel just came from language. Joshua is in essence saying, if, if you cling to these people, if you worship their idols, if you love what they love, these things will enslave you. That your heart, what it loves, isn't insignificant but powerful because what you love will either set you free or send you back to Egypt. And the same is true for us today. You know, just because we don't have actual statues that we bow down to, that we sacrifice our children at like the Canaanites did, doesn't mean that we still don't have our, our own modern idols that we worship today. The atheist author David Foster Wallace, he once put it this way, he said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So idolatry, it, it's just taking a good thing, a good desire, and making it the ultimate thing. Making it what you worship, making it what you love, and, and we all do it. Sinclair Ferguson is an author. Some of us in here have probably read him before. Christian author, he, he was once reading a copy of one of his books when he realized a typo in it. Uh, instead of saying rend with a D at the end, rend your hearts from a Bible verse, uh, it was a typo and it said rent your heart. And he thought in that moment, oh my gosh, isn't that what I do every day? I, I rent my heart out to all sorts of idols who, who want to come in and take it. You know, what are you renting your heart out to this morning? 
What, what are the things that you daydream about most? What, when it gets taken away from you, do you get the most angry about? What do you think, if I, if I could finally have this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be satisfied, then life will make sense. What are the good things, the good desires that you love even above God, and are they setting you free, or are they sending you back to Egypt? If it's money, is it really making you secure? Or do you really just always feel like you never quite have enough? If it's work, is it really giving you that sense of purpose in life, or can you really just never clock out? Here's what I've had to ask myself since I've started here at LBC. Is, is my preaching really about making much of the beauty of Jesus, or is it really just me chasing after other people's opinion of me? And now, none of that is to shame anybody in here. In the gospel, God only exposes us to envelop us in his grace. But what do you love most? Is it sex? Is it money? Is it a political cause? And is it setting you free? Or is it sending you back to Egypt? Because Jesus... Oh, Jesus wants nothing more than your freedom. Jesus loves your freedom. His whole joy is watching you walk in the freeness that he alone can give. A freeness that can only be found in giving your undivided love to the unrestrained lover of your soul. So Joshua gives an encouragement, gives a warning. Lastly, he gives a guarantee. In verse 16, Joshua, he, he ends his, his last words here by reminding Israel of one thing they can guarantee will happen. He says, but if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods. If you bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will, you will quickly perish from the land he's given you. You see, there is, there is one big if that is hanging over Israel's head right now. If their hearts get divided if they don't center their love on God, if they don't desire him above everything else, if they start to live and love like the Canaanites do, then they will be evicted just like the Canaanites have been. And as we'll see more next week, Israel, just like you and me, ultimately they couldn't keep the covenant. No, they constantly forget all that God has and will do for them. They constantly rent their hearts out to all sorts of things that take them back to Egypt until, as the prophet Hosea centuries later says, like Adam, Israel broke the covenant. Now, Israel's only hope 
our only hope is in an even greater guarantee. A guarantee God first made to Adam and Eve. A guarantee that that Joshua's warning and Israel's sin doesn't undo, but makes all the more needed, desired, and lovely. A guarantee that God makes to all people throughout all history who will receive it through the empty hands of faith of a grace that is greater than all of our sin. A guarantee of Jesus who lived the life that you and me and Israel never could, who kept the covenants, who loved God above everything else, only not in a land flowing with milk and honey, but one where he had no place to lay his head, who on the cross moved your judgment day from the future to the past and paid it forever also that he could give to you what the promised land was always merely pointing toward, a never-ending inheritance, a true rest, an eternal kingdom, one that can't be shaken or lost ever. The gospel, the gospel is God in Christ erasing from your spiritual vocabulary if and forever replacing it with the therefore of his never-ending love for you in Jesus. See, Jesus, he loves you like no one else ever could or ever would. He will never send you back to Egypt, but will always set you free. He even gives you his spirit to continually encourage you with all that he has and will do for you just so that you will love him back more. I mean, think about how profound that is. Who do you want to love you? Random strangers? Maybe, probably not, right? If the next time I'm at Bagel King, and the person behind the cash register tells me they don't love me, I'm probably not that heartbroken about it, right? I mean, I'm definitely not leaving a tip, but I've, I've moved on. I'm not that worried about it. Who do you want to love you? Who do I want to love me? My wife, my kids, the people I love. Jesus desires our love. He desires your love because he so loves you. Only he doesn't just desire your love. No, he enables our love. Jesus actually puts his spirit in you to continually encourage you with all that Jesus has and will do for you just to help you love Jesus back more and more and more above everything. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to be freed to love God more and more and more from an undivided heart? Well, first, it looks like confessing and repenting of the places where I'm not as free as Jesus intends me to be. 
It means having some people with whom it's safe to risk honestly naming the things that are taking your heart back to Egypt and allowing those brothers and sisters to, like Joshua, encourage you toward the lavish love of God for you. And that's not a bad thing. Right? Re repentance is a beautiful thing. God doesn't demote us for it. No, he delights over us in it. Re repentance, it's all about getting more of Jesus. Repentance is about freeing yourself from the Egypt of having to micromanage a personal reputation and instead collapsing into the perfect righteousness of Jesus for you. I mean, what couldn't be more loving to God than that? And loving God, loving him more and more with an undivided heart will also look like fixing our hearts and minds on what Joshua calls here God's good and unfailing word. Trusting that when we don't, that when, as Joshua says, we look instead to the right or to the left, when good desires get hijacked, or when real wounds get taken to places that can't heal them, Jesus will never turn his gaze of grace away from you. No, he'll hold fast to you. He'll forgive you, renew you, and woo you into deeper love with him. Guys, he loves us so much. Lean into that and ask him to help you love him more above everything else. Let's pray. Oh, Father, when we, when we sit and we linger on all that you have and will do for us in Jesus, is more than we ever thought you could or would do. Father, your love for us is, is good and unfailing. And so we need your help today. And the parts of our hearts where they become divided, where we've rented them out to all sorts of things that are taking us back to Egypt. Hold fast to us today. Capture us with your love. And by your spirit, free us to love you more and more and more above everything else. Amen.